probably seen it. If you haven't, feel free to look it up after the service. And so it's, it takes place in a schoolyard somewhere over in Britannia, over there somewhere. I don't know if it's Ireland or London or something. And there is a, a big kid, somewhat overweight, and there is a smaller kid, kind of a scrawny kid, who is kind of a bully, all right? And the bully starts picking on the big kid. Now, you might wonder how this small kid can even try to get away with picking on the big kid. But if you've been in school, you know that sometimes kids get picked on, right? It's no mystery. And if they're different, and if there's a pattern of that over the years, then sometimes the kid who gets picked on starts to feel powerless. They start to feel like there's nothing they can do, even if they are a lot bigger than the other kid. And this smaller kid, maybe he was a little bit more athletic, maybe he's a little bit more popular, but he starts picking on the big kid, punching him in the face, dancing around, taunting him, slapping him, and finally the moment happens. This big kid has had enough, and he reaches down, he grabs this little kid, this bully, picks him up, and throws him down on the ground. And I just think, yes! That's not the right response, I don't think. <laughs> but that is the response of a, of a lot of us. And some of you are thinking, yeah, you know, get that bully. Put him in his place. Show him, you know, show him who's boss. We like the story of the underdog, right? I mean, I'm a Seahawks fan from before Russell Wilson. I'm a Cubs fan from before the World Series. I love a good underdog. And the underdog wins in this situation, and I love it. But I have to wonder, even though part of me says, yes, is this really the right response? Is this the best response? Is this the biblical response? And so that's what we're looking at here in our passage of study this morning. And as we move forward through this passage, I'm reminded that everything that we see in Romans 12 and following falls after and is built upon what happens in Romans 1 through 11. You've heard that the last several weeks, and it's true. And so Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Or in other words, uh, in, other words in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves a living, as a living sacrifice. And so what does that mean? That means that all that we've seen about the mercy of God from chapters 1 through 11, now that we've seen that, how does that change how we live our lives? And I think initially about Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus talks about the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in this story, the master comes to the servants to collect all of the debts that they owe him. And he comes to one servant who cannot repay the debt. And this person could be beaten and thrown in jail for that. But he pleads his case to the master and says, I can't repay, please forgive me. And the master has mercy on the servant and so forgives the debt. And then this servant turns around, finds another servant who owes him some money and orders him to pay it. And when he can't pay it, has him beaten and thrown in jail. And so then the master finds out about what had happened, and the master comes back, and he says to the first servant, 
you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? So we're in the place of that first servant. We have been shown such great mercy. Shouldn't we have mercy on others? Shouldn't we be filled with the mercy of God? And what does mercy-filled living look like? Well, it looks like making peace a priority. It's several things, but in this passage of study, it's making peace a priority in your life. And you might be wondering about this shirt that I'm wearing today. I don't usually dress up this much for church, but when I was thinking about the message, another image came to my mind, and it was like people at a, at a peace protest or something like that, and I imagined them wearing a tie-dyed shirt. And so I commissioned my son and his girlfriend to make me a tie-dyed shirt, and then I thought, well, what if we put a peace symbol on it? But then Rachel said, well, wait a second. My mom says that a peace symbol looks like a broken cross, so that's not really good. I said, well, what if we flip it around upside down, straighten out the arms a little bit so it looks more like a cross? And now the peace symbol becomes, uh, becomes a much better symbol for the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. So for the message, I'll be kind of a walking billboard for making peace a priority. So just an extra little illustration for you. And so as we look at the passage of study, we learn, uh, we learn about making peace a priority. Let's read through this, starting in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you'll help us to understand what is the appropriate response to the evil that we face in the world. How do we respond when, when someone treats us in an evil way? Help us to, to internalize your message so that we can become more like you, to respond more like you, and carry out your mission in this world. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and amen. So we start out in verse 17, and it says, Repay no one evil for evil. The idea of repaying evil for evil is to get even. We like to get even, right? And so someone does something evil to us, we want to get even and do evil to them. The problem with that is our evil, or our even, what looks like even to me, to the enemy might look like this. They might think I have overreacted, and so now they have to get even. And then I have to get even, and then it just escalates. We enter into this, this uh, vicious cycle where we continue to repay evil for evil, and it never stops. And so how do we, how do we respond differently? So then the passage goes on, do, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Here's that verse if you want to look at it. 
So at the beginning here, we have to give thought. And I think that's an important first step. When someone has done evil to you, rather than to fly off the handle and react immediately, stop, take a beat, think about it. Maybe there is another way to react. First, give thought. I remember hearing a story about a woman in Palo Alto, California. She's walking down the street, and in this car full of ruffians drives up alongside of her. And one of the teenagers in the car rolls down the window and chucks out a, a milkshake at this woman. It hits her, covers her in milkshake. And she immediately reacts. She's furious with what happens, and she throws her purse at the car. It goes through the open window, and they drive off with a $2,000 designer purse. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't stop and give thought. Take a minute to give the correct response. When you give the wrong response, you are being reactive. That is, you are allowing the world to control your actions. Somebody says something nice to you, so you're happy today. Somebody says something mean to you, so you're sad today. Church goes well, and so you're on mission for Christ. Church doesn't go well, so I'm going to check out. My boss says something mean to me, so I want to quit. And we go on and on and on through life just reacting to the things that are happening to us. A better plan is to be proactive. That is when you set a course for your life. That is when you set the trajectory. And then when things happen, you can respond in a way that helps support that trajectory. And you don't have to just react to the world. For those of you who are under 30, this is a pinball machine. They're a lot of fun. It's a real physical mechanical device. It's got a metal ball inside that bounces around uh, with all of the different levers and things that you find inside of it. It's fun to watch. It's fun to play. But it's not very fun to be the metal ball. And that's what you are when you are reactive. And you just bounce around in the world because of what people say or do around you. Instead, be proactive. Instead... Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought. You know, there's another benefit of giving thought. You gain clarity. So maybe someone has done evil to you, but maybe you don't understand the whole situation. Maybe they really didn't do evil, and you've just interpreted it this way because you don't know all of the facts. So you've got to stop. You've got to think. And, and maybe your response will be different. Hopefully it will be better. And so we give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, because remember, the world is watching how we as the church responds to the evil that happens to us. Now, we don't do what we do in order to be seen by other people. Jesus told us that in the Sermon on the Mount. However, what we do will be seen by other people, and we want to make sure that what they see in us is Jesus. So whatever you do, when you make peace a priority, it will impact, it will impact the, uh, what did we say, your witness to the world. But it will also impact your personal well-being. There in verse 18, let's look at what it says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. See, this becomes the, the overarching umbrella over all of our activity. We live at peace with 
all people. So that's going to include the people within our church. It's going to include people out in the world, people that we work with. It's going to include our friends and our family, and it's going to include our enemies as well. Live peaceably with all. And so this is why we do not repay evil for evil. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And the passage tells us in verse 18, again, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Well, what about him? He's the real problem here. No, no, no. So far as it depends on you. God will deal with them. They're accountable with their action, for their actions. You're accountable for your actions. And you might think to yourself, well, why, why do I have to be the one to make peace? Why do I have to be the one who always gets stepped on? How come I can't get my way sometimes? I didn't say it was easy. And we don't only preach the things that are easy for us, but we preach the things that are biblical. And the Bible says, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. And that verse begins, if possible. And I love those words. I love those words because it is so real. The Apostle Paul is telling us there is no guarantee. You can strive for peace, but you may not achieve peace. You can try to live at peace, but your enemy may not choose peace. You may try to show kindness, and your enemy may respond with just more evil. That may happen. And so he says, if possible... So far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, if possible. No guarantee. There is a guarantee, though. And that guarantee is that when you live out these biblical principles, you will become more like Jesus. You will be conformed to the image of Christ. And that should be our proactive, overarching goal in our lives. There's also other benefits that come along with living at peace and choosing to live at peace with others. Here we have 1 Peter 3, 9. It says, Do not repay evil for evil. Sounds familiar, right? Or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, I think that's interesting. Instead of repaying evil for evil, we're supposed to bless people. And this is not just a side job for a Christian. It says, to this you were called. So your efforts to live at peace don't take a back seat to everything else you do in your Christian life. It takes front and center. Then it says, for whosoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Don't you want to obtain a blessing? Don't you want, to, don't you want a good life and good days? It goes on, verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I don't know about you, but I want God to be watching out for me. I want his ears to be open to my prayers. I want to pray, and, and I, want, I want a reaction in heaven. I, I want God to say, hey, wait a second. Stop everything. My peacemaker down there is praying. And I'm going to open up my ears to him. 
That's what we want. And that's one of the benefits that we see when we choose to live at peace. Another impact for living at peace is the purpose of God. The purpose of God. It says there in verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? That's William Shakespeare, Merchant of Venice, I think. But to Shakespeare and to so much of the world, revenge is just as natural as laughing and breathing. But that is, and that may be the case for the natural man, but it is not the case for the redeemed. Revenge should not be our, uh, our regular way of living. That's what we find here in this passage. Never avenge yourselves. Uh, the word revenge is the noun form. Avenge is the verb form. So your passage may say never avenge yourselves or never take revenge or something like that. The word avenge means to inflict hurt or harm on someone for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands. So they do wrong or harm to you. You do harm to them. That's how you avenge. That's how you take revenge. You repay evil for evil. And God is telling us, don't do that. Now, I know that there is this sense of satisfaction that comes from taking revenge, from throwing that bully down on the ground. And I know that we like to do that and we seethe and we think about how we can repay evil for evil and those feelings don't easily go away and we want to give vent to them. But do you really feel better after you take revenge? There's some research reported in Psychology Today that suggests, no, people do not feel better after taking revenge. Through surveys with, with hundreds of people and brain scans, it has been discovered that while, yes, thinking about taking revenge does hit a pleasure center in our brains, actually taking revenge actually leaves people feeling worse most of the time. And there's lots of reasons for that, and you've probably experienced that in your own life. And it not only makes you feel worse, it makes matters worse, because as we talked about before, it usually escalates the problem. And so, so if you think that we're trying to take away that good feeling of satisfaction from you, understand that that feeling doesn't really exist anyway. So why not try to choose the biblical path? And you might also be thinking, well, what about justice? This person wronged me, and I can't just let it go, can I? Well, wait a second. Nobody ever said you had to let it go. That's, that's not in here. It just says don't avenge yourself. That's two different things. Revenge is about giving vent to your hate and your anger and your frustration. That's different from justice. Justice is about the rule of law and about protecting society and about meeting out the appropriate punishments. It is about impartiality and truth, two things that you probably don't have in the heat of the moment. And so it's good to leave that to someone else. You might say, well, well, we need to teach that bully a lesson. I need to teach my coworker a lesson for the thing that he said or she said about me. I need to teach him a lesson. 
Well, let's be careful there too. Because the lesson that you think you're teaching may not be the lesson that's being received. You might think that, that in the story of the bully and the big kid, that, that the bully was taught a lesson. Don't pick on people. And then he walked away, and he doesn't pick on people anymore. That's probably not the message that he received. That's probably not the lesson that he learned. Maybe he learned the lesson, I can still pick on people. I just have to make sure I pick smaller people than me. And then he keeps going. And the situation, he is not changed. He is not better. Maybe he's learned the lesson, I can still take on this big kid. I just need to be stronger or I need more firepower. And he goes and gets a gun and takes care of the situation. And we know that sort of thing happens. So be careful with using vengeance to try to teach a lesson. You might say, well, the Bible says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, turn the other cheek. God has given us governing authorities to take care of civil justice. We'll talk about that in chapter 13 a little bit. So they could take care of that. What Paul is talking about here is your personal response to evil that is being done to you. And your personal response is to leave room for God. Now, that's kind of a passive way of saying it. It's actually active voice. Some of your translations say, give place to God. It is not your place to take revenge. That place belongs to God. Give that place to him. And God, he may, he may, his vengeance may be greater than what you could ever think of. It may be less. His vengeance may not come until that person dies, but we leave it to God. We let him make that decision. We do not have the moral authority to be able to make that kind of decision ourselves. Jesus said, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. So we have to be careful that our response, that we're not overtaken by our own response. We need to leave it to God. And then another impact of making peace a priority is the fate of your enemy, himself or herself. The Bible says there in verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, the overall sentiment of this passage is doing good. The last words, overcoming evil with good. And so, Whatever we're talking about here with heaping burning coals on a person's head is a good thing. Now, how can melting someone's scalp be a good thing? Well, what we're dealing with here is what we call an idiomatic expression. It's a figure of speech that the people that, that Paul would have been familiar with, that his audience, some at least in his audience, would have been familiar with. It's a figure of speech like bats in your belfry or frog in your throat, we understand what that means, but people from another language or another culture don't. This particular expression goes all the way back to Proverbs chapter 25. And so it's something that was around for uh, nearly a thousand years, maybe even more. It's possible the people here don't even know what it meant, but they understand what it, what it means, what it's supposed to communicate today. And if we go back to that Proverbs passage we, passage, we still don't even really get a good idea of what it means. Some scholars have suggested that heaping burning coals on someone's head is shame. Burning coals of shame. They do something evil to you, you respond with kindness, and now they're overcome with 
shame, and hopefully that leads to repentance. There's also some scholars who believe that the Jewish uh, authors back in Proverbs uh, borrowed this idea from the Arabian culture, their neighbors, in which there was a ritual and people would carry around uh, a pan of burning coals on their head as a symbol of their repentance. So whether the burning coals represent shame leading to repentance, or if they represent repentance itself, it's a good thing. That's the outcome that we want to see when this situation arises. When someone does you evil, not to repay evil, but we want to do something. We want to lead them with kindness into repentance. Now it's interesting, as I was studying for this passage, something that that preachers like to do we, we like to go back to the Greek and, and see what the original words were and the original meaning was and, and see if that sheds some light on the message of the passage. And I was a little shocked what I found when I looked up the word coal in the Greek lexicon. Oh, there's a picture of burning coals. <laughs> Anybody can read Greek? Anybody? Doug, do you know what this word is? Anybody? Drew? (laughs) I'll show you. Anthrax. That's, That's the word for a biological agent, a poisonous bacteria. And so I'm like, well, how in the world does coal have the same name as this? Well, as it turns out that anthrax, when someone is poisoned with anthrax, one of the symptoms is a a sore on their skin that has a hard, dark, black center. And it was named after the Greek word for coal. And so now the passage isn't telling us that we should give our enemies something to eat and give them something to drink and give them anthrax. (laughs) No. We need to lead them with kindness into repentance. And that would be the ideal response. Now, when we think about the bully and the, and the big kid, uh, there's lots of interviews with these two individuals that you can also find after the fact. And it kind of looks like maybe the bully um, apologizes eventually. Of course, the big kid trusts that bully about as far as he can throw him, which is surprisingly far. But ideally, we would want to see the bully repent. That would be the ideal scenario, the ideal outcome in this situation. And so our choice to live at peace impacts the fate of our enemy. And our choice to live at peace also impacts the mission of Christ. The Bible says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's an old saying that goes, you can whip a skunk, but do you want to? (laughs) Meaning that uh, you might, you might not be able to, you might be able to, to, to beat a skunk in a fight, but in so doing, you're going to be covered by the stink of that skunk. And the same thing is true if someone acts toward you with evil and you respond with evil, you might win, but you're going to be covered with that stink of evil. A better response is to overcome evil with good. And you could probably think of several examples where there are situations where someone acted in an evil way, someone else responded in kindness, and it led to repentance, and it led to a furthering of the mission of Christ. There's one example I want to share with you, and you may be familiar with this story. It's a story of these five missionaries, Roger Udary and Pete Fleming, 
Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and Ed McCulley. These five missionaries decided to go to Ecuador to spread the gospel, and they reached out to the Watani tribe there in Ecuador. And they made some inroads, and their story is described in the movie The End of the Spear. And they made some inroads there, but eventually the tribe rejected them and then killed all five of them. Some years passed, and at least one of the children, Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint, was old enough to return back to Ecuador. But he didn't go back to take revenge. He did not go back to kill the people that murdered his father. He went back to share with them the kindness of Jesus Christ. He went there to overcome evil with good. And the entire Watani tribe was converted and became followers of Jesus Christ. Here's a picture of Steve Saint with a member of the Watani tribe. That's the man who killed his father. And instead of responding with vengeance, he responded with goodness, transformed a whole tribe, and has a legacy that will last forever and even into heaven. That's the kind of thing that we can expect. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that the essence of the gospel? Jesus came to earth. He was rejected by his own people. They beat him, they hung him on a cross, and they killed him. And he rose again on the third day. He came back, though, not to take revenge against those people, but he came to bring forgiveness, to bring new life, to bring them into his kingdom, to bring them into heaven. That's the gospel, and we can be a part of that as well if we choose to live at peace. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. It says, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making peace by the blood of the cross. Making peace by the blood of the cross. I think every one of us has a response to this passage of Scripture today. Maybe you need peace with God. Maybe you have not crossed that line yet. Maybe you have not become a Christian. Maybe you have not yet taken that step to surrender your life to Jesus, to receive him by faith, and to receive his forgiveness and the hope of everlasting life in heaven. That may be your response today. Maybe today's the day you decide to make that step. For others, maybe it's taking peace, making peace with someone else around you. I imagine that if there's somebody that you need to make peace with, you've probably already been thinking about that person this morning. Decide in your heart today between you and God as you pray to choose peace with that person, to do whatever you are able to do to live peaceably with them, to show them kindness, to lead them to repentance, to fulfill the mission of Christ. Let's all stand, we'll pray, and then we'll sing. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, we are so grateful for all that you show us there. And Lord, as we make the effort to to choose peace, I pray that you will Help us to transform the world around us. 
We, we, are, we, we accept our role in your plan. We accept our place to be a part of, of your mission in the world and knowing that in order to do that, we've got to choose peace. I pray that you will help us to, to see the value in, in a good response. I pray that you will help us in the moment when we face evil, not to respond quickly, but to stop and to wait and to see what's best and to give you room if vengeance is what is needed to take that vengeance. And I pray, Lord, that you would, would bless us as you've promised, as we choose to be peacemakers. And we also look forward to seeing the repentance and the life transformation of those around us as we live your way in this world. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.